Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Show, where we talk with some of the world's most forward-thinking, influential CEOs and other top business leaders to learn about leadership experiences and how they're building world-class organizations. Brought to you by Warrior Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spence Taylor. Hello, hello. I'm so excited to introduce as today's guest, Jenny Dufresne, who is the CEO and founder of Dufresne Solutions Group. Jenny, I'm really excited to visit with you. I've been blessed to get to know you just a little bit before our conversation today, and, and I'm already just so impressed with you and your energy and what you're doing and, and just the impact that you've already had and continue to have. So welcome to the episode. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Spence. I appreciate you. Um, this is exciting always to get to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is leadership um, and the, all the juicy details and things that happen <laughs> in leadership. So Thank you so much for the for the for the great opportunity. It's been fun to get to chat with you as well. Such a pleasure. Yeah, thank thank you for your kind words. Uh, I'm excited because uh, you you have such a rich background. Uh, really, am looking forward to our guests learning what, kind of who you are, and would love for you to first introduce yourself by way of just sharing some of those big touch points of your past that have kind of shaped and, and made you who you are, and then the work you're doing now as well. And then we'll kind of as we spoke off the air, so to speak, uh, we'll just kind of use that as our jumping off point and explore some of the details around what you talk about at the beginning. Okay. That sounds great. So, well, one thing that you and I do have, well, a couple things we have in common, um, but uh, I grew up actually in the, in Utah. Yeah. Uh, and it, and I would say that it's, it's interesting growing up in, for me, I grew up in a really super small town at the bottom of the state down by the four corners area. For those of you that, um, you know, for those of you that watch Westerns, um, just about every West, old Western scene has uh, a, a beautiful scenery of uh, Monument Valley, Utah, which is near where I grew up. And so I would say like that was my, you know, growing up out uh, really in an extremely rural environment, you know, I learned some things around being ind very independent. <laughs> um, but also I was heavily influenced uh, by the Navajo, Navajo Code Talkers. Um, who were all Marines. Um, and so for those of you who don't know about the Navajo Code Talkers, they were really instrumental in helping win World War II um, because they came in and used their uh, Navajo language to be able to uh, create codes that the Japanese could not crack. And so that was really kind of a, an influence piece for me, both as um, I ultimately became a United States Marine. Um, but it was also really important around you know, the, 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 the things that I learned, I think growing up were around, you know, your word was really your bond. Um, we did everything on a handshake. I mean, even as a little kid, I always remember watching, you know, folks do things by a handshake. And I would say that that is something that I still carry with me today. Um, I left when I, when I finally left Utah, I went on, uh, the Marine Corps actually sent me to the East Coast, uh, where I lived for many years and served. Uh, and and continued to kind of build my understanding of leadership, uh, build my understanding also of kind of social, I'd say social responsibility or social engagement. Um, that quest led me, um, I started asking the question, you know, of everything that I've had the opportunity to do. Uh, I'd worked in the national nonprofit sector. I worked in corporate and public relations. Um, I met somebody in a Starbucks one day that ended up being uh, someone who pointed me to Harvard. So I went off to Harvard and got a degree at Harvard University. Um, that was never something that I ever thought about, but it was a fortuitous meeting. 
and went to Harvard, um, got my master's degree there, and <clears throat> then went on and uh, created, um, worked for more leadership, worked around leadership development, uh, and then decided as I started asking myself the question then, you know, where, if I take all of these experiences I've had, I'd spent 10 years in the Marine Corps, I'd been in corporate, I'd been in all these different environments. If I took all of this stuff and my upbringing and applied it somewhere, where could I have the most impact in the world? And the answer then was education. Uh, and so sort of in mid-career, um, I did something and I've always kind of done things. I've always sort of blazed my own path in, in, in different ways. And I think that, again, is a testament to my upbringing. Um, but where could I have the most impact? Where could I really affect social change? And so my answer after two years of inquiry was education. And so I went mid-career, switched up, <laughs> became a teacher, um, and got some real serious lessons around everything in life. Uh, uh, and, and from that, I saw even more and uh, then took the opportunity, was really um, pushed to create the opportunity um, to start, the, found the first all-male public charter elementary school and led that for a number of years. And then, um, and then once I left that, I, um, I, I founded the current company, which is a training and leadership development firm. So that's a little bit, um, a little bit about the path. Ne never, never a linear straight path for me. <laughs> well, I think that's life. And I, I think it's right. beautiful. Also, I just love what you shared. Um, as a quick aside, sorry to, yeah. to digress no, for no, a second. No. Are you hearing background music <laughs> on my end? Uh, I don't hear any now. Okay. I heard I just, something earlier, but it was, it was, you know, nice and melodic. melodic <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. The reason I ask, I, my, uh, I'm at my home office today and my daughter is practicing the piano. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it sounds great. Totally normally sounds I great. can't, I don't uh, have that, but you're, you're welcome everyone for the background music as I, <laughs> if I'm talking and you hear the piano, it's just my daughter, Audrey playing the piano. So she's That's now awesome. famous on our podcast. So yeah, anyway, I, it. I hope I it's not it. distracting. Um, but no, I, I really loved your intro. I, there's so many pieces that I'm anxious to explore. I'll try not to, to talk about every single little, little one because it would be a two hour episode because it was so <laughs> interesting. Uh, but a, a few of the things, I mean, I'd love to go back to the code talker thing uh, for just a minute. Like, what was that really like? Like in my head, it's kind of like this mystical, uh, I, you know, I, I'm sure I'm imagining it the wrong way. Like, how did you first come to learn about that? Um, and was there some connection between that and your desire to serve in the military? Maybe that's a stretch. I don't know, but what, what, well, what was it about? Well, actually it's not, not, it's not a super stretch. So I grew up on the Navajo nation. So I, so the town that I grew up on, well, actually a, a series of, you know, moves throughout my early childhood, um, but I grew up on the Navajo, I either grew up on the Navajo nation or I was right in bordering the Navajo nation. Um, and this is where my family was. And it was just part of, you know, if I look back at, as a kid, it was the Navajo code talkers, the, you know, they, the, the men who came back and mostly it was guys. I don't know if there's any women. Well, they probably wouldn't have been in world war two. Um, but <clears throat> they, they were revered on the Navajo Nation, absolutely revered, um, because they were, they had played a very important part in the war effort, the World War II effort, uh, and they, uh, and I remember they would b back then. Uh, I don't know that any are even alive anymore, but they, 
you know, they would be in these parades, big parades or small parades. There'd always be these men and they would have their, um, their, their, their uh, Navajo traditional, um, uh, I don't want to say costume, but regalia. And it would be, they'd always have a red uh, velvet uh, shirt, again, mm. based on their tradition. And they would have, you know, they would have just different things on them, but it was always very clear that when those men showed up, that they were the Navajo code talkers. They weren't mm. other branches. They were the Navajo code talkers. And so that was very influential. Um, the, uh, the stepfather that I grew up with, he had been in the Marine Corps. He didn't talk very much about his service because um, of whatever he had been doing in service. Uh, but I would say that the Navajo code talkers were very influential uh, on the Navajo nation. Um, and I don't know, I'm assuming that's still current, that's still the case today, but the, the legacy of the history um, was really, really phenomenal. And the, you know, the, the, the fact that they helped, they were very instrumental in helping to win World War II um, because the Japanese up to that point had been consistently breaking all of our, um, all of our code. So any radio transmissions the Japanese had gotten, had figured out the, you know, the cryptographic, whatever to, to break the code, but they could not break a language that had not been written. I believe had not been written to that point. Um, or, you know, it wasn't widely, widely recognized. So that's, that's, a, that's, that's the influence of that. And it just, they were just really, um, I mean, the Marine Corps is for me as a Marine, former Marine, the Marine Corps is really a kind of a mythical institution in a lot of ways in terms of our history and the things we talk about. And so kind of the confluence of, of the Navajo code talkers and their warrior kind of warrior society, along with, you know, the influence of the stories of the Marine Corps. Um, I was a goner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can see why for sure. I totally understand why. Uh, so, and I, it's interesting because as you're talking more and elaborating a bit on this co uh element of, of your growing up years, uh, it just occurred to me that in a way there's, it seemed like there might be even be a parallel between your other statement and in your introductory uh, remarks just about uh, taking all of your experiences, that moment in your life when you made a change and you took, you said you took all your experiences, all this stuff, uh, and looked at where you could have the most impact in the world. And for you, the answer was education. It's almost like the Navajo nation um, took a look at all their stuff and where they could make a difference in the world. And they, <laughs> they used the language, right? That was a right. very transformational thing. So I, I think that honestly, I believe that there are, uh, that that's a, that's honorable and that is difficult work uh, to stop in your life, basically stop and kind of look at your life uh, almost like you're observing from the outside and say, okay, everything I've gone through up to this point, everything I know, who I am, uh, my core values and beliefs, you know, just the systems that make me me, how can I go and do more and, and make an impact in the world? Uh, I, sometimes people choose not to do that, I think, because it's it's scary in a lot of ways. Like oh, it's, it's a little safer to just kind of stay the course. Like if someone is an accountant when they first leave college and they really don't like accounting, but they've been doing it for 10 years and they just kind of swallow the pill and, and keep going. And again, not to say that's dishonorable or anything. It's, it's wonderful. But anyway, do you, do you have any thoughts around that? Like what? Well, I do actually. I mean, I, and when I said I've, I've, I've never taken the path that I guess that I'm air quote supposed to take. Yeah. Uh, you know, I went, I went in the Marine Corps when I was not 18, I was 20. I, I got my first degree when I was probably 27, 28. I don't remember now. Uh, I left jobs to go back to school. 
So, you know, so I, I, I've had a pattern for whatever reason, you know, to, to step off the path that we would kind of traditionally think that we should, you know, I mean, there's like, let's, 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 you know, the reality is, is that at least during my early upbringing, there was always a path of kind of step one, step two, step three, step four, that you need to, you need to, you need to walk through in order to be successful or to be an adult or to whatever, whatever the thing is. Right. And, um, though I, the, what I have learned in my life is that some of those ways of being are there. And I'll just say they're old artifacts. They don't necessarily align with the amount of exposure that we have today. The, I mean, and this was for me 20 some years ago now, but they don't always align with you know, technology, technology now allows me to talk to someone in Africa and then talk to someone in China and talk to someone in Washington, DC at the same time. So that means that I have vastly more opportunities to have impact and influence in the world. And the other thing that I've learned is that we really, and this is, I think, going back to a little bit about leadership is that there's a whole lot of our inside life that these paradigms of whatever don't take into account. Like we really do have to grow up and know ourselves, right? We have to spend time asking those questions. And sometimes if we're on a particular track, we can't, we don't have time to ask them. Or we have, you know, you give the example of an accountant, a very important and and, and critical profession. But let, actually, let me use a different one. Let me use the one of an artist. Artists are really, this is a great one. So we have plenty of people around you. I bet you spent might even know some that really wanted to be artists, but all these external influences said artists don't make money. We don't, we don't ever hear anything else about art artists, except artists don't make money. Right. For sure. Right. And so then the people who really desire to be artists go off and be something else that is air quotes uh, uh, acceptable. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens is that they spend however many years never feeling really super fulfilled, right? I just heard a woman last night, um, I'm on Clubhouse, a uh, very interesting platform, but I heard a woman last night say, you know, she wanted to be an artist. She'd been, you know, drawing whatever. And some teacher said, oh, those are stick figures. You know, those are terrible, right? So she kind of stuffed that down. And then she still wanted to be an artist when she in, in college. And someone said, you'll never make money at that. So she went and went into like bioengineering or something, like some mm. really linear kind of work. And 20 some years later, and as a result of the pandemic for her, she completely stopped her job and went and started down the path of being an artist. Right. Mm. So I just think that there's, there's a lot, we don't, life is not linear, but I think we've been taught that it's supposed to be linear and all these little, but it's not. It, it, then that has not been my experience at all. I have I have started jobs and and left jobs to pursue other things with no idea whether they would be successful. Hmm. Zero. But once I got to whatever I was doing, you just you figure it out. Way leads on the way, as my mother would say, right? Like you just kind of figure you do take a step, and then that opens another door, and you take a step into that door, and you you just keep going. And that's kind of how that's how my life has really unfolded. And so sometimes when people ask me questions. They're like, well, you didn't, you know, when I founded a school, 
everyone would think, okay, well then you're lockstep into doing education for the rest of your life. My answer to that is no. I did that. Um, that was really important for me to bring into, to, to bring into being and to, to create experiences and to hire people and go through that entire, but it is not what I choose to do today. I wanted to do something different. So hmm. hope that answers your question, but it, it's, it's really, life is, life is very long. <laughs> it is very long and it is all kinds of twists and turns and we can, we get to experience all of it. Oh, it's so powerful. And, and I love it. Uh, it. It not only answers the question, but introduces a couple of additional, I think, powerful things we can maybe pull on a little bit. One of those, uh, the example came to my mind just as you were talking uh, about kind of the opinions of others, basically, like getting getting advice and this this uh, right path. And, you know, some of these, I guess, traditional ways of, of thinking about especially work, but even other, you know, we could apply that to anything. anything. Um, I thought of the show Shark Tank, which I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of. Um, and once in a while, there'll be someone on Shark Tank who does a pitch and it's uh, from the get-go, it doesn't go well. Uh, as the viewing audience, you're thinking, man, this is the weirdest, dumbest, whatever idea that I've ever heard. And the sharks all basically, I mean, of course, they don't hold back. They tell the person like, this is terrible. You should go get a job or whatever. Um, and then in the outtake portion at the end, the person says something like, I know this is going to work. It's the best idea ever. Like people can't see it yet, but I can. Uh, and I'm going to just keep going. And again, I, I often just feel kind of badly for those people. Not Again, not because they're idiots or anything. I'm just be, because they're in this place where they've been so successful at blocking out the opinions of others that they're no longer listening. Right. Like, you know, that they're not taking the input. Right. So we have to find a place where we can balance between. You have to have the balance. Yeah. So how, how do you do that? Like what's your, your counsel on striking that right balance of listening to well-intended people versus letting those opinions and counsel and advice derail us and hold us back from what we could potentially do? Well, I won't say that I'm an expert for sure. I mean, I still, you know, I can tell you that and share with you just a story uh, where when I, so I, I competed for and got a very, uh, it was a, a fellowship to go through a year's worth of training um, to then go on and found the school. And at one point I had a crisis of, of my own internal leadership compass. Like I was really like, Holy crap. Like who, because in our, in our training, you know, we would go and we would visit other people's schools, other people. And and I'm saying school, but school can translate to company. It can translate to business. It can translate to family. It can translate to marriage. It can translate to lots of things this just happens to have school attached to it in terms of the organization. I'll do it this way. The organization that I founded Mm. and I just had a crisis of leadership. You know, when you look around and you see everything working well and it's all perfect and you you know, you're like, what the heck is wrong with me? Like, why, you know, why, why am I getting all the crazy people or what, what is happening? Why are all of my employees off the chain? Like what is, what is really going on? And you know, I, I shared that with people that I had a lot of respect for. And they said to me, you're right. You're not the right leader for this. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. That was, that was crushing. Uh, and I also had to stop talking to them because, and I, and I share this because it was so, you know, there's people in our lives and they can be 
anyone. It could be a spouse. It could be a kid and one of our children. It could be someone, someone we respect, whatever, but someone, people who have, who we respect their opinion or their ideas that when we reach out to them, when we ask them for help for something, or we may not even craft it as help. We may be just sort of fishing, right? But when they say that thing that causes us to take a sharp breath in and then feel completely like exposed, like it's a real, that's a real challenging thing for, for people in leadership. And when that happened to me, I, I was like, wait, I didn't, I didn't call because I was looking to be replaced. I called because I was trying to just ask the people who had been responsible for my training, like, hey, oh my gosh, I don't know what the heck is going on. There's all these things are happening. And all those models that we had, we never saw anything wrong, right? It was like the per- everything was perfect. Um, and so I had to learn then. And it, it took me another seven or eight years um, of, of a few more missteps around that of like sh- trying to get advice or sharing, pe- sharing with people. Uh, and got some, some not just really not helpful, like feedback that, that caused me to be really off kilter. Um, but what I started to learn through all of that was that we, we have to check. I had to check what, what was driving my own belief, right? So, you know, we're having all these issues and stuff was just happening and, but what it really rested in was within me. The things outside of me were the things outside of me, but it was how I kind of was cons- seeing my own, like, you know, how did I see myself? How did I understand my own leadership? How did I, you know, what, what did I set as my bar of success or high or low, <laughs> right? And so I learned that, and I, and I learned today even, that I really have to do my inside work that internal work is so imperative because people will always have opinions. You know, we seek opinions from people, but sometimes the people who have the most power or we, the most influence in our lives can have the greatest impact coming back at us. And so I really had to learn, and I, and I share this a lot with people, is that we really have to do that inside work. We have to do work around our mindset. Um, those become really important um, pieces to try to keep us on our you know, keep us in that space where we can have our strong belief in whatever it is that we're doing. Or, you know, if we're, if we're going off and we're taking a, an, an uncharted path, like having strong belief in that or having confidence on ourselves and doing that. And then being mindful of who we have around us. And, you know, either, either they're on that same path with us. Those are the folks that I like to hang out with because they're risk takers or they're boundary breakers or, you know, whatever. Uh, but if you have people who've been sitting comfortably and, you know, telling you not to be an artist, those aren't the people to get advice from or to get opinions from. So powerful. I, I really love what you've shared here and, and really am taking it to heart myself. Uh, cause, Cause again, I believe it's, it's this ongoing uh, process or experience of answering some of those big, big uh, foundational questions. Uh, it's not like we answer those questions one time and we're done. Right, like even your transition into education, uh, you you spent that time. <clears throat> excuse me. And again, the the assumption from some of those on the outside was, okay, well, you found your path, and now thirty years from now, you'll still be in education. <laughs> but right. but for you, you were you were brave and bold enough to continue to ask those questions on an ongoing basis. And as you're exploring your own 
I guess, your own potential and, and building that narrative, the, the self-talk that's so important that you kind of alluded to there. I, I just I really admire just the boldness that, that came uh, out of that in terms of what changes you made and, and breaking with tradition and, and some of those, uh, anyway, those moves that you've made that really have shaped uh, so many positive outcomes that would never have even been uh, considered uh, without that type of boldness. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, we, we, and, and, and I also say that I'm not particularly, you know, I'm not particularly unique in some, some respects. Like, I'm just like, oh, well, that would be interesting. Let me go do that. Like, that's, that's kind of how I approach things. As I've gotten older, <laughs> that's been tempered a little bit more, right? Um, it, it, you know, and I, and I still, even today, I'm constantly challenging myself in, you know, now it's my mindset because some things that I had experiences with, you know, 10 years ago, you know, they're rearing their head and not, not so beautiful ways. And so I'm like, Oh, okay. I got to do some work on that. So I can continue to push and thrive and grow. I, I think one of the things that I've learned Spence is that there's so much, we're here on this planet to do so much more than we realize and that this feels very philosophical today, um, but that we're here to do so much more than we realize. And there's lots of different paths that we get to take. Like, I think some people are just zeroed in on, I, you know, I want to be a whatever, fill in the blank as a kid. And it never wavers. They're just, they're, they're, I mean, so they, they're really clear. And then for the other 99% of us, I think there's lots of different paths and lots of different opportunities. We just have to take a first step and explore it. And sometimes we need to take that first step in darkness. And what that means is mm-hmm. we don't need to tell everybody about it. We, 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 don't, we don't need to tell the people that might be around us that'll be the naysayers. And this goes again, we talk about, you, know, you and I are both in a leadership space. This is the same for leaders. You know, like getting off the leadership train that says, you know, your command and control style leadership. That's how I was raised in leadership. Marine Corps, good, good grief. Back in the day, we were command and control all day long. Well, as we get in the world, we recognize, as I did, that that form of leadership isn't always really helpful. Right. And mm-hmm. so then, then I got to, I have to give myself permission. Like, I'm like, oh, what's a flat organization? Like, what do you mean you guys don't have like a real defined leader? Like, so there's just, so then explore or try those shoes on. Like, what does that really feel like? Because really, ultimately it's about, I have to continue as a leader or you or anyone else. We have to continue as leaders to continue to break down those, there, there are these barriers that, or mindsets or whatever that have got, have locked us in mm-hmm. to this is the only way we can be. No, there's lots of different ways. We, there's lots of different ways we can be. Uh, we have to have those core values. You, you talked about that earlier. You know, what are our core values? Like, what are those things that, that guide us? Because those things always guide us, just like in organizations, if our core values are always the touchstone that we go back to to touch and to reconnect with, we can, we can be creative on all the other stuff, you know? So, I don't know. Hmm. Really, really, yeah. Again, just so so much additional color and depth uh, from what you've just added. It made me think more about culture. I, I had a a really interesting conversation with a group of business leaders um, that I've known for a few years about about culture and what is it. Uh, there was kind of both ends of the spectrum in terms of opinion. 
one leader was like, culture is not important. It's all process and systems. The other end was in the majority kind of was uh, culture is critical and it's kind of the foundation piece. But really the definition that I like the best when it comes to culture is the accepted normal behaviors that are tied to a specific group of people. Uh, you know, you, you have what you observe around you tends to be what you imitate. Uh, your, your comments earlier about choosing not to spend time around certain people anymore because basically you don't want to imitate or follow the counsel of or, you know, whatever, like you're choosing to disconnect from that. And therefore you're putting yourself in a different culture. You're building your own, you know, anyway, not to make yeah. it too, too complex, but I, I just think there's, there's so much importance there with taking time to think about the culture that you currently are in. And is that empowering and propelling you forward? Or is it actually holding you back in some way? And you're following a set of rules that ultimately, you know, kind of in your heart of hearts is not your fullest self. Like it's not your, your fullest potential or your the best contribution uh, that you can make. It's rules and behavior, right? So, I mean, if you we're talking about culture, culture is all about behaviors, right? Observable <clears throat> uh, or tangible. So even for us as individuals, Right. So if we're following rules, as you said, the, the R word, right, if you're following rules, but th- those rules are restricting, uh, you know, your 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 behavior. And, and I'm saying, obviously, the ethical, moral, you know, positive behaviors. Yeah. But if but but those rules can also say I have to come to work and not be authentic. Like that's a big one in leadership. Uh, or I, or I've been trained as a leader to not be transparent, to not speak, you know, openly, or I've been trained, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of leaders, particularly those of us who've gone through the military, um, and, and I'll say as a woman, like you don't cry, like you don't, that's just not what you do. And, and, but we've, so we've demonized that as an emotion. The problem is, is that we've also then demonized everything else that comes behind that, that that kind of emotive emotion, right? So we have people who won't be authentic because they actually, they, they're not even comfortable being able to be expressive in that way, or they're not going to be transparent, same thing. So I think that there are, you know, there are those behaviors, these rules also can restrict behaviors. Um, and I'm going to speak specifically about women leaders. Women leaders have had to morph into styles of leadership that don't fit a woman's natural leadership, hmm. right? Yeah. As you think about it. And so, and so then you have, then we have all these conflicts inside of the person, but then all inside of corporations, you have all kinds of conflicts because uh, internal conflicts and then external conflicts, because there's such a misalignment between how I want to authentically show up and the rules that say, I can't show up like that as a leader. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad you went there because I know a lot of the work you do, is around working with other powerful women and powerful business leaders. Again, I don't want to, anyway, I I saw a post recently on LinkedIn that was from a a woman who was saying, you don't have to say we're powerful business women, just say we're powerful business leaders. Anyway, so I don't want to, you know, put it in a box like that, but I I do think uh, it's clearly a priority for you to help other women uh, do great things in business. What, What do you think are the main, I guess, things that need to be accomplished as a, as a society, as a culture, you know, on a broader sense, uh, like what do we need to do? There's so much that's happened in the last few years with uh, women's rights and, 
an awareness of past abuses and, you know, different things uh, that, that have, I think, started to change in a positive way, but we're clearly not there yet. So what are those last big pieces, not last, I guess, but next, next steps or big pieces that you feel are most essential to continue to help women uh, have all the opportunities and, and the tools that, that they deserve and, and already have inside them? Men need to get involved. <laughs> um, m- men, allies, men, men who are, who believe, I mean, I'm going to say, so I'm going to kind of contrast this men who believe that um, men who believe that they have a, a great role and responsibility and opportunity to create and open doors and champion women into leadership roles uh, is, is sorely needed. And I'm not talking just one or two men in a corporation. I'm talking 10, 15, 20. Uh, and because, be, and, and why do I say that? In anything, in any social, in my opinion, in any social um, misalignments or any social challenges that we're having, whether you talk about, you know, we have Black Lives Matter, so you talk about African-Americans, you talk about you know, the Asian community, you talk about, you know, any, the Native American community that I grew up around, in any, any place where there is, um, has been restriction or people have been left out, it is really important for the, for the group that has been in the seat of power to open the doors and to champion. You can't just open the doors and then stand there and go, oh, well, they didn't work out. And I'll go back to my time in the Marine Corps. Um, when I served, the Marine Corps did not have any female pilots. We did not have any women who, when I went through boot camp uh, in 1986, my platoon in boot camp, we were the first group of women to drill. That means to march with an M16. Like we were the first to throw a live grenade in a training environment. Like if I can tell you, how cuckoo that was for me then. Cause I was like, wait, what? I grew up with guns. I had weapons in my house and we had my own weapons when I was little. I was like, wait, we, we, we're just now being able allowed, allowed yeah. to, to, to march with an M16 and do the, the manual of arms while marching. Like that blew my mind. Hmm. And for those of you that don't know, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's being able, let's just say, let's keep it simple. It's having a, a weapon on your right shoulder, left shoulder, and be able to march in time while holding the weapon, basically, yeah. right? So, and so, but, but my branch of the service, the Marine Corps, was one of the last to allow women to do, to start taking on some of these other roles. And so I really, I look at, I look at the, the when I looked at other branches of the service, the general officers, who were all men, were the ones who said, okay, we'll open these doors. Now, some of them had to do it with pressure. In the Marine Corps, there was maximum pressure applied to our commandant at the time in order to open a little, just crack the door open. Mm. But my, that lesson for me is that, is that men have to get actively involved. Women are incredible um, profit drivers in companies. And I don't know with all the research that that has come out around that, I still don't understand why men who are in leadership roles haven't said, huh, this might be really good for my company. Mm -hmm. Let me, 
Let me do more training with the cadres of women. Let me go, let me bring more women up. Let me, let me really champion women into roles on board seats in the C-suite in middle, middle, let me, let me make it my business to do this because it's actually good for everybody. It's good for all of my employees. It's good for us as leaders. And so I would say how to, how to make a change is that in, in, in this, in terms of leadership, men need to get involved and understand that it makes them stronger men, in my opinion, right? Yeah. It makes them much stronger men because you have you mean you you because you have to de- you have to develop inside of yourself in order to do that work. Mm-hmm. Again, in my opinion, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I think it's I don't you can't you can't just you have you will be doing the work you will be evolving your leadership to bring women in to help cultivate women to champion women to to push women forward. You have to definitely do your work, and so um, I think that's that's the. And the, you know, women, we still ha- we all have our our part to do, and women in leadership, we all that. But I do think that that's that that is that is going to be the massive barrier breaker. Hmm. Um, you know, you take President Biden; he brought a woman in as vice president. That's it, yeah. and that's a big deal. Like that, he didn't need to; he didn't have mm-hmm. to. Like to be blunt, right? He didn't have to, but he did. And so now, everybody sees this as an opportunity, and you know, he took some hits for it. I'm sure along the way somewhere. I love it. Yeah. Very beautifully put and clear in terms of what needs to happen. I love that about it. It's very actionable for those uh, men business leaders out there who can uh, accept the challenge and open open additional doors and, and uh, really take that to heart. I, I hope that each of you will, because I'm a believer. Uh, I grew up around uh, wonderful, powerful women and continue to just want to be part of it. And it's, it feels a little bit strange as a man, because I, I feel like I'm not allowed to join the conversation, if that makes sense, sometimes just because I'm not a woman, I'm not uh, experiencing it myself, but I see the opportunity. I've coached uh, several different women uh, in the past uh, who have been broken for years and years because of the kind of the oppressive and the, the some of the weird norms and contradictions and things like a woman shouldn't be able to express her emotions at work, basically. But when men do it, like I remember this conversation, of course, I won't share any details. So you don't won't know who it is. But uh, um, this this woman I was working with, it was just amazing. And she talked about how early in her career, she observed that if she were to cry or become upset at work, she'd be seen as a weak woman. And if a man were to become upset at work, he would be seen as a passionate leader. It's exactly. kind of how she put it. And I just thought, man, that, that is so true and so sad that, that that's uh, at least hopefully how it was. And again, I think it is still that way in in some sense, maybe we've improved a bit, I hope. Um, But anyway, not to, not to get off on a tangent, but I just, I really feel the weight of this opportunity and the the power of, of uh, of women to lead in a deeper, broader sense. Uh, So I'm just so grateful for the work you're doing and for how you've, you've talked about it here. And let me just say Spence on, 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 on that, what you said. So one action that every man that's listening to this that he can take is to find five roles in in your company and start to start to identify and cultivate women to take on those leadership roles like that's a real simple action um all the way to the c-suite and and champion it out loud normalize it out loud you have to talk about it i like it like you can't just do it in the dark behind the scenes and like okay well let me do that no 
talk about it out loud and why it's so important. Um, but that's one really critical action. Identify five opportunities, five slots, five women, and start to cultivate them intentionally to be in those roles um, and champion it out loud. I think that's a real, that's a real concrete action. And the other thing is I would say be uncomfortable with sitting in those conversations and listening to what women have to say. It's okay. Right. And it's okay to say, I didn't know, like Mm. I had no idea because that then also allows that male leader to be, to start to be open and understand like, Oh, okay. Right. Like, you know, it's just like what you said, you, you know, the passionate leader versus the weak woman. Right. So you know, when you, and you've been in the position where you could hear that and it struck you and I can almost, I almost bet with, 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 with everything in me, Spence, that you are very attuned to that language now, or when you see it happen, you, it clicks for you and you yeah. may say something, um, you know, either overtly or, or, or behind the scenes. But, but I do think one action, identify five slots, five women and cultivate them, champion them into those, into those leadership roles and then continue to champion once they're in those leadership roles. I love that. That's, that's really magnificent. And, I, and I'm grateful also for the probably a dozen other implied actions that uh, the listeners, any listener may have really keyed in on. And they were just about reinvention, rediscovery, doing the internal work, making sure you're not settling. Uh, you know, anyway, I jotted down a whole list and I'm sure that it's much longer than that, obviously, but uh, this has been powerful. Uh, Jenny, if, if people want to connect with you and the work you're doing, uh, what's the best way to do that? So an easy way is to hit me on LinkedIn, um, Jenny Dufresne. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. and uh, Or you can also uh, visit, uh, I have two websites. <laughs> One is leaderstransform.com. Uh, we're moving everything over to that platform. So leaderstransform.com is a great place uh, to, to connect. Or LinkedIn is probably the easiest. Um, to, to get a hold of me on. And I'd love to hear from people. So, <laughs> so definitely reach out. Excellent. Okay, great. We'll, we'll make sure to put those details in the show notes as well. So it's easy to click over to your both LinkedIn profile and your uh, Leaders Transform website. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm sad in a way because we have to wrap up, but this has been so much fun. I wish we could just keep going, but uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime and add a part two. But I, I really am grateful, Jenny, for you joining me. Uh, such a powerful conversation and, and I just wish you all the continued success. I know you'll have it because you're a bold, brave leader out there doing amazing things that uh, disrupt. And I think that's just magnificent. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Spence. It's been a joy to get to talk to you and, and um, thank you for the invite. This is really fun. It's a lot of fun. Such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Exploring Leadership Show. To receive a free company health assessment that clarifies your company's greatest strengths and biggest opportunities to improve, visit warriorslead.com. We'll see you next time.